0: Welcome everyone to the latest episode of The Network Age. I'm Mitchell Ritson here as always with my handsome articulate co-hosts Habsol Rigner and Nilrun Mardux. Boys, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, doing really well. Great, thanks.
0: And we're, we're doing especially good because we have an excellent guest for you all today, we are going to be joined by John Dennehy of Mi Primer Bitcoin, My First Bitcoin, which is a nonprofit operating in El Salvador, doing Bitcoin education in schools and throughout the country, and it really is a unique, exciting project. And I think it's going to be a really awesome conversation.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had John over at the Erbit Mansion for dinner a couple months ago, and I was just really impressed with how articulate he was, and also how he's just thinking about how to spread um, Bitcoin. I think there's lessons there for how to spread Erbit, and I haven't really thought about it enough. I need to kind of like think about that separately. But I was very impressed with just how he's been able to spread Bitcoin organically within El Salvador. You know, they're having five thousand people per class now taking their Bitcoin education class. So I was just really impressive with. Impressed with that growth and kind of how he was thinking about spreading this new technology to areas that you know haven't really been on the cutting edge of technology in the past.
2: Yeah, and he uh, gives us a sort of look at the the common El Salvadoran, I suppose you'd call it, how they are reacting to Bitcoin, how it's been taken up by the government, and what the education efforts look like in the public schools and elsewhere. So we get a really interesting sort of. Yeah, as as Nilan says, boots on the ground. Look at uh, how the country's responding to the introduction of Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, and we're also going to talk about how this is unfolding at a at a national scale. How other countries who are interested in this experiment might learn from what El Salvador is doing, and why. He tells all the the students in his classes that Bitcoin really is, in his view, the key to a more sound, stable, empowered economic future. So we're really excited for this one and we'll get to the conversation. Welcome, John, to the network age. Bienvenidos a la era de la red. Uh and we're we're excited to to have you here to talk about Bitcoin in El Salvador. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. Several of us are in El Salvador physically. I I'm sometimes there mentally dreaming of beaches in in as I look at the cold Montana weather and of course the the Bitcoin crypto experiment in El Salvador has Totally capture the imagination of the the Web three world, and it's really awesome to have someone with boots on the ground who's uh, you're you're part of the tip of the spear. So I I think we're we're all really excited to to have this conversation. And wondering if if we could begin by just hearing a little bit about your experience, how you got into this world, and how you came to start me premier Bitcoin my first bitcoin your your educational effort in El salvador yeah um, yeah that's a that's a good
3: question so I got into Bitcoin just over ten years ago at this point um i was i think I was predisposed to it because I already had thought about the the benefits of the separation of money and state um I had previously uh, I'd previously lived abroad. I lived in Ecuador, and after some political turmoil, um, I was <laughs> my visa wasn't recognized by the new government, and I was arrested, <laughs> I was arrested and deported. And in that process, they seized all my assets and took all my money. Um, oh, that's so, that seems really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when I when I heard about Bitcoin, right, I, w- I was an activist too, and like I, I thought about you know I was always thinking about change and 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 for me, I always thought that evil was the concentration of power, right that that the the greatest thing that we needed to fight against was the concentration of power. Um, and you know, separation of money and state really dovetailed really nicely into that into that philosophy because that that's if you take away money from the state, then the state has a lot less power. If you combine the two if you combine these two really powerful forces together. Then that's a huge concentration of power. So I was, I think I was a little bit predisposed to Bitcoin um, because of previous experiences. So I, I was very excited to, to read the white paper and, and learn about Bitcoin, learn about this new innovation that that seemed like it really had the potential to shake things up. Uh, and then fast forward quite a bit, um, you know, eight years later, during the pandemic. I, I'm from New York. So I was in New York when, uh, when the pandemic started and all the lockdowns started and, and it was a wild time there. I'm sure it was a wild
0: time everywhere in the world, but that was a, that was a particularly bad place to be at that time. Yes, that was, it's, it's, you know, we're not that far
3: removed from it. And I think we forget how crazy things were then, right? Like, like I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what would happen, right? It, like you couldn't go out. You, the, the The stories on the news
0: were just there was so much fear then. Um, so I, much anxiety. I remember I was I was in Montana, and I we had zero cases at there over the summer at first. And I was at a barbecue, and I skyped with some friends for like they were doing a Zoom birthday party, and it felt like I had skyped into a war zone everyone was like unshaven and like there was no lights (laughs) anywhere and they're like, there was completely hollow look and it was (laughs) absolutely terrifying. Yeah. 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 That, that tracks. tracks Suddenly, suddenly
2: Mitchell felt at home
3: though for the first time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I had a lot of time during the pandemic to, well, two things happened. One was it became more obvious than ever to me that the world was the the systems of the world were broken and that the path that we were on was unsustainable simultaneously i had a lot of uh you know i had a lot of extra time um to walk around in these post-apocalyptic sort of scenes and ponder the future of the world and and what what solutions could be for that uh and to me the solution seemed you know, after some thought, after after like being really sure that the problem was that our path was unsustainable, uh, the solution seemed somewhat obvious. That it was Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin was—it's it, not just money, right? Money is 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 the first use case. It's an important use case, uh, but but I really see Bitcoin as a new way to interact with power, and that new way to interact with power changes a lot of incentives that we have, which which could very much alter the path that we're on, right? Because I really believe that the path that we're on is not sustainable. We cannot con- continue on it. And I don't see a better way to fork from that path than Bitcoin.
1: Due to this, that inherent separation of money and power that you talked about earlier, is that kind of the key principle there?
3: Yeah. So I think the key principle is actually that Bitcoin it incentivizes and encourages us to have agency in our own lives and to think for ourselves, to think critically, uh, to use to use those muscles in our brains. Um, So Bitcoin is a mindset. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I think part of the problem of the legacy world is that we defer power and responsibility to others rather than than take ownership over it. And, And that's because that's what we're taught to do. That's what we're told to do. And, and we've accepted that. And that's led us astray. Uh, Bitcoin changes the incentive structure. Like if you control your money, then you control your life. Right. Like it's not just about money. It echoes to other things as well.
2: You'd certainly learn responsibility the first time you send a thousand dollars to the wrong address. Yeah.
3: yeah, Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's actually, this is a weird thing to say, but I like that Bitcoin, um, that Bitcoin punishes you. Right. Like, (laughs) uh, because I I think so much of the world that we live in, like we avoid failure, Uh, Mm -hmm. like the world is built to avoid failure. You have a bank account, right? You have some money in the bank and you forget your password. You can't access it. You just ask them and they'll, they'll, they'll reopen it for you. Right. And it's because you never really had, you were never really the only person in control of that. Um, But with Bitcoin, if you forget your password, and you know you haven't done your your you haven't been a responsible holder and, and you haven't made like a backup and you haven't done the right things then, too bad right then you feel pain
0: and you learn a lesson you touch the fire and you learn to not. To <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I still surprise myself every time I need to make a payment with my ledger that I I actually I read the entire address that's being sent to <laughs> like. You know. Uh, every single time because I just I feel so nervous um, yeah. because I'm afraid of the fire I, I I'm mm-hmm. fire shy
3: and and um, you should
0: be right we should be afraid yeah. of the fire. I
3: think we've lost that fear with some things because like the fire has you know has like a case around it in the world that we live in and it's, it's just not real we're
0: soft we're soft now mm-hmm mm-hmm and well uh you know you're all right you're walking around new york there's bodies piling up in the park you're thinking (laughs) huh this seems bad and uh then there's still a few steps between there and el salvador right so what what sort of after you came to this realization and it really started to think about how bitcoin can um i mean i hesitate to describe it as a panacea but really like alleviate a lot of what you think ails us. How do you end up in Latin America after that?
3: Yeah. So uh, much of my adult life, I've lived in Latin America. So I, I spent about five years in, in Ecuador, um, both both pre and post deportation. Right. The, the seizing, the seizing of your assets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I had spent some lesser amounts of time in other places in Latin America. Latin America is, is always a place that heads. That uh, felt really exciting to me, it, in part because of the social movements here. The social movements are are quite strong here, and I was um, growing up in the U.S. and being an activist in university in the U.S. I was frustrated with the weakness of the social movements in the U.S. the 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 inability of the people to stand up to their government, and that is something that I've always admired about Latin America. You know, whatever whatever critiques you may have of, of governments in Latin America, I I really want to champion people's movements here because mm-hmm. they stand up like maybe the governments are bad sometimes but people don't accept it right like they they stand up to that and that's always attracted me to Latin America and I've also always seen bitcoin as a social movement as much as anything else um so I actually in the in the latter part of the pandemic, I moved back to Ecuador. I was working from home, so no need to pay rent in New York when I could go to the Andes and and have better views and much much <laughs> cheaper rent. Uh, so I I I you know still with the focus on Bitcoin, I tried to teach friends in in ecuador about bitcoin because it seemed uh, another issue that i another potential problem that i saw uh is that i knew a lot of people in new york new york and ecuador being kind of my two touch zones um i knew a lot of people in new york that had bitcoin had some exposure to bitcoin but none of none of them use it they all thought of it as an investment and then in Ecuador, where they could actually use it where you know things like censorship resistance are a lot more important then no one knew anything about it, and I was like, "Oh, that would be terrible if there's this new world order, and with that comes this wealth transfer. But it's actually not a wealth transfer. It's all the all mm-hmm. the people that had money in the past have money in the future, and all the people that didn't in the past don't in the future. Um, so it's besides Bitcoin adoption, it needs to. It can't just happen in the places that are already at the top of the economic pyramid now." geographically like you know comparing new york to ecuador um so i i tried to teach some people in in ecuador and and i gave uh i gave people some you know a a little bit of money to to some sats to go teach their neighbors and teach their friends and coworkers about it um that was the idea it never really took off (laughs) this was also (laughs) this was difficult because the pandemic was still going on and and uh Vision that I had for this was was to make big, to make the intangible real. So for me, it was important that things were in person uh, because I think that's one of the one of the things that many people have trouble with Bitcoin is that they can't hold it right, like it's not real. Mm. And and to yep. do things in person and to do as many interactive activities to teach people as possible, I, I think really mitigates that but that it just wasn't the right time <laughs> you know there were there were many many people that were not super keen to go meet up <laughs> with a group of people and learn about something that that uh you know they weren't already very interested in during the pandemic um so but then i heard about but then you know in, in i think it was june uh when el salvador announced that they were going to adopt bitcoin as legal tender then it kind of hit me like wow so should i move to el salvador like is this is this <laughs> thing that i've been trying to do uh that has not really gotten much traction would it work there would it work there like the context is different like people need to learn education is going to be one of the one of the more important foundational pieces to, to making sure that El Salvador is a success and El Salvador has to be a success. As the first nation in the world to adopt Bitcoin, it cannot fail. Like It has to be successful because that will, that will really push forward the timeline. It, it, it will be an example for better or worse. So we have to make sure that it's an example for better. Uh, that, that, that was my thought and thinking that education would be important so i kind of scratched my head and thought well you know maybe it's maybe this should be tried in el salvador and see see if it works there honestly at the time i i don't know what percent i would have
0: assigned to its success um its success being el salvador's initiative as a as a whole or, or your education project well uh, the that the, the you know the the idea that I had for
3: um an educational initiative, like a a grassroots nonprofit educational initiative would, would have traction uh in El Salvador. But I also thought at the time, you know, it's worth trying, right? It's worth it's worth giving it a shot. And if it doesn't work, then I'm sure there's gonna be lots of other cool stuff going on that,
0: that I could help out with. So okay, I'm gonna move to El Salvador. Yeah, I mean, what a what a interesting project to, to take a risk for, and you know the 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 spoiler here is that you know me premier bitcoin is is happening it's it's in schools you're you're talking to people and educating people all over the country, but obviously that didn't happen overnight. How did you first begin to make inroads with the the government and the the education system? Obviously, I think they were looking for other people to be excited about this project. And I imagine, you know, hungry for someone like you to, to come along and, and work with them, but it it, it still doesn't happen automatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we, I think we fell forward a lot. Right. Uh, so <laughs> that's in my life, that's the only way I move forward. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we, we just started,
3: um, you know contrary to to how other people might um, have done this we did not start with with sponsors or donors or connections or legal status uh essentially everyone i met in the first week so i arrived in El Salvador in august of 2021 so shortly before the law after the law was announced before it went into effect um and everyone i met i spoke with about bitcoin and there was a lot of curiosity which was you know a, a change from from ecuador there wasn't that level of curiosity because it was about to become legal tender then people almost no one knew anything about bitcoin then you know aside from from bitcoin beach which is you know this wonderful project um that that helped uh inspire the government to take that leap of faith but that that's it's a village right it's like I don't know, 2,000 people um, in the capital and and most of the rest of the country. The the knowledge base was was pretty close to zero, but there was a lot of curiosity, which was just fine. You know that 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 split was just fine with me. Um, so I spoke with literally every Salvadorian I met about Bitcoin, just asking them their opinion. And the ones that were more interested in it, then we kept in touch. And I was like, hey, I'd like to. You know, start some sort of educational initiative here. Um, you could be a student, you could be a teacher. You know, maybe you could be involved, and in, and it was a pretty random mix of people that that, that joined the project at first. You know, it's just somebody that was my Uber driver or somebody who I rented an Airbnb from. You know, just like kind of a random mix of people there, um, and we just started teaching intro classes, which were very basic. One off, like one and a half hours, just very basics about Bitcoin. Just at
1: cafes uh, or did you already have a space at that point?
3: No. So That's we so had true. no
0: space. So mm-hmm. the first class. You're on a over- soapbox on the street talking about <laughs> Bitcoin like, is coming for you.
1: Evangelizing, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, not too different. <laughs> <laughs> so the first, the first class that we had was in a yoga studio that was that the teacher of that first class so i'm not a teacher uh we think it's important that the teachers are always salvadorian we try to make it as local as possible right awesome if possible like from that same neighborhood or city at least um you know because they connect with the students in a way that that i never could that that somebody in my position never could Uh, they they just have a different understanding of the of the context so, the first class was taught by a young man named Victor, and his sister was a yoga instructor and so she had access to this yoga studio um and there was a slot between between sessions there, so they let us use that space. We brought in some chairs and uh and our first class was was between yoga classes.
1: <laughs> Could you do some free yoga afterwards like were they? taking attendance, <laughs> bundles of services.
3: Yeah. No, no, we never really, <laughs> I, I wish we made like a, we should make a stronger connection with, with the yoga, right? Go back into, mm-hmm. uh, make some connection there. Um, but, but yeah, so we didn't, we didn't have any spaces. We, we grew, uh, you know, at the time it seemed like we were growing fast. Now when I look back, then it seems like we were growing slow. Uh, it's all perspective. Um, and we, so we, we didn't ask permission. We didn't, uh, talk to the government. We didn't do any of those things for, for quite a while. Um, so we got on the government's radar. There was a school, uh, a suburb of San Salvador that was interested in Bitcoin education. And that led to the Bitcoin diploma. So this is early 2022, Mm. Uh, So the Bitcoin Diploma is a 10-week or 10-session Bitcoin class that that we developed. It's a 10-week curriculum, and we taught it at that school, right? So the the eldest students at that school uh, all took this class, um, this inaugural class there.
1: And what are the general topics in that 10 weeks?
3: Yeah. Um, Let me grab... Let me grab a book here, and uh, yes, and again, yes. it seems like I'm just telling you all the things I don't do. Curriculum <laughs> is like I, I'm not involved in the curriculum development. We have a really fantastic team that does that. Uh, so, what what the for both the intro class and the Bitcoin diploma, they're effectively the same thing. One is just longer. One goes a lot deeper, uh, hmm. but they all begin with the system that we live in today. So in the in the Bitcoin diploma, we don't talk about Bitcoin until week four. So the first mm. three weeks are about the monetary system that we live in today. So that includes things like the history, the evolution of money, uh, what fiat money is, why money is centralized, what are drawbacks to centralization of money. Like we don't talk about Bitcoin at all. It's just what is the system that we have currently and what's wrong with it? What's broken? So we try, to, we try to focus on the problem first. And then from week four onward, then we talk about Bitcoin, which is the solution. Uh, so we talk about a little bit of everything. So there's just an intro week. There's about how to self-custody and how to buy and sell and move your Bitcoin. Uh, and, and a lot of this is interactive, right? As much as possible, we, we, make, we demonstrate what Bitcoin is with interactive activities we talk about lightning, we make transactions on lightning, we talk about mining um, we talk about you know volatility and price discovery and all that but we end the the course the Bitcoin diploma here in El Salvador with where Bitcoin is today and where we think it's going to go in the future and it's it's a little bit contextual uh it's a little bit specific for El Salvador there um like how Bitcoin could change the future of El Salvador, how it could change them, like how their future is going to look different from from, you know, the world that their parents grew up in because of Bitcoin. And and then we we give them a, a little bit of a of an exam uh, the after the final week. And then we uh, we have a whole ceremony, you know, we call them up. We call their name up and give them a diploma and take their photo. We give out a prize to to some of the top students and and it's it's like a whole big ceremony, which is really, really wonderful because we we're usually able to get some some people, some international bitcoiners to attend and help us help us verify their knowledge, and that really emphasizes that this is international and that what's happening is important that they are an example that people are watching what's happening here. And it, it's really powerful. At every graduation that we've had, and we've had, I don't know, maybe 10 so far. Um at least one of the students has has cried, you know, just like overwhelmed with with the, uh, you know, <laughs> tears of joy, right? Not <laughs> yeah. overwhelmed with with like, wow, you know, I'm part of something. I'm part of something like, you know, the future, the future just seems really bright
0: to the students that get it. And and it's really wonderful to see. And what age you, are the the students you're working with? Mitchell, I raised my hand. So I missed you. I missed your hand <laughs> raise. I I disregarded you. That was the question I was going to ask.
2: Which was which was <laughs> <what are> the, <laughs> 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 we we never we never discussed. We you, you talked about the first uh, the first class that you did, which was in this interested neighborhood. But what's the uh, typical demographics of those students? Are these all public schools?
3: yes so these are the first one was a public school we've expanded quite a bit since then so the age range when we work in the public schools is it tends to be the the students that are either in their final year or their second to final year so 16 17 18 is is about what most students are Uh, we've expanded quite a bit so now i'm just talking about the bitcoin diploma We've expanded quite a bit, and we actually teach it. We teach we we have a house now that we use as an office and also a school, so we teach it out of there, and that's open the public, so there's a quite a diverse age range there. We also have a very good relationship with the government in Usolotan, which is the in the eastern part of the country. it's actually the largest department of the country, and because of that great relationship, we've taught all of the municipalities so there's 23 different municipalities uh so we've taught all of the mayors in that department and all of the mayor's staff and now and and many of them have invited us to to continue teaching out of out of their offices uh so they they actually call the community like hey if you want to learn about bitcoin these guys are here And, and we teach a lot of classes to to students out of mayoral offices in the eastern part of the country and that's That's a wide range, age range, sorry about that. It's a wide age range, Uh, including we had in a graduation that we had a couple of months ago in that part of the country. There was a man, I believe he was 75 years old and he lived two hours away. So he took a bus two hours in each direction for every class because he, he, you know, he was really excited to learn about Bitcoin and he was a great student, like was really enthusiastic and um, how
1: many students have graduated across the ten graduations so far? Can you give a little bit of sense of scope and then also growth like because you mentioned the growth has really been accelerating?
3: Yes, yeah um, so so we could measure students in two ways uh, the Bitcoin diploma and then the intros classes. so we actually have more students in intro classes than the Bitcoin diploma, that probably makes sense it's a one off the other one is a is ten session, uh, but the Bitcoin diploma. Doubles in size every ten weeks, and that's from the inception. Wow. So, in the first in the first group, we ha- we taught it in one school and we had thirty eight students. In the second group, so we had three groups last year. Uh, so, one school, thirty eight students; two schools, ninety students; five schools. We ended the year with the third group, five schools, and two hundred students. I'm sorry, I think like two hundred twenty students. And right now, the the current wave, which is which is just finishing, so this is the first group of twenty twenty three. Um, actually, this tomorrow we have a a big graduation. Um, so in this group, it's being taught in nine different places, and we have about five hundred students uh, divided among those five places. That's awesome. So we're we're hoping to continue that trajectory to to double every 10 weeks, not, not every 10 weeks necessarily because there's breaks in between them, but, but to double with every, with every new wave of students.
0: And what is your working relationship with like the government, like formally, like you said, you're working at a, a mayor's office. And clearly if you're, if you're going into schools, there's, you know, um, mutual support, but have you had any direct contact with, um, members of of the government or or has um Bukele the the president uh, like spoken about this or about the project or like uh, how did that um introduction get made Yeah
3: um yeah we've we've had it's really important for us that we are independent and impartial and that means that we can never talk about you know bitcoin companies or uh or products in ways that dictate to students what is right and what is wrong we just give them information and they have to make their own choice because again that's that's a big part of of the mission here is to enable people to have agency in in their own lives so it's really important for us that we don't um that we don't tell people what to think right that that we remain independent and impartial and that also includes politics, right? So we don't have an official position. Like we love the government, we hate the government. No, nothing like that. We are very appreciative to, to work in an environment here in El Salvador that is very friendly to this sort of thing, right? Like this couldn't happen the way that it's happened here anywhere else. There is a sort of tactic permission to, to innovate here. Um, and that has been extremely valuable. And over time we have developed relationships with, with the government, with the Ministry of Education who has, you know, been very supportive. We have permission for all the schools that we work in. Um, and we also work with, you know, local governments and mayor's offices. Uh, as, as we've grown, we've developed better relations with the government, closer ties. And that's, it, it's, it's been such a great benefit to have to to work in an environment where where we're allowed to to innovate and experiment.
1: Mm. You mentioned it couldn't happen elsewhere, but earlier you kind of talked about El Salvador as the example. So like could you go into like why it couldn't help happen elsewhere? Is it do you need sort of presidential level help? Do you need mayor level help? Like what what conditions make it possible in El Salvador that just would not make it possible, say in Ecuador today and could that change over time like could Ecuador for example or another another developing country um could leadership make it possible as it has been for you in El Salvador
3: Yeah yeah so maybe I should restate that not not that it wouldn't be possible anywhere else but it wouldn't be possible in the same way right so in fact uh we are creating a decentralized network of nodes that that follow the same philosophies that that me from Bitcoin has um, and we actually have nodes in I think eight or nine countries at this point uh, you know Guatemala Honduras there's there's projects there that are teaching the Bitcoin mm. diploma in the school system there um, but when I yeah so so I want to walk that back that it can't happen in the same way that it's happened here because how we started like that first school that we went into the first classes that we taught and intro classes. I just want to shout out the numbers there because we had in March, we broke a record for most students in a month. We had more than 5,000 students that went through our intro classes just in March of this year. So we have a lot more students there than we do in the diploma programs. Um, So when we started working in the public school system, we did not ask for permission we just did it. And that was our first interaction with the government. was like, Hey, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) And uh, and they, you know, they were like, you need to talk to us first. You need to need to talk to us. Like you can't just do this. What
1: specifically were you doing in those school? Like, would you just get students together after class? Were you working with a teacher? Like, was it How were Uh, you kind of getting into the school schools?
3: So we have, we have our own teachers that we send into the schools and it's kind of a slot in the, in the school schedule. Mm. So they have, you know, math from eight to 930 and then Bitcoin class from 930 to 11. And then from 11 to 1230, they have some other class.
1: And the government was like, Hey, you need to talk to us to actually be part of this (laughs) curriculum. You can't just (laughs) go into our schools with teachers. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and and now and now you know we do talk to them. We do have permission for all the stuff that we do, and it was fine, right? And and that's the difference between El Salvador and and a place like Ecuador. Here, it's like uh, you know what you need to do this a a little bit differently for next time, and that was it, right? That was like that. That was they haven't
1: taken uh, your visa, arrested you, and taken all your money. Okay.
3: Had had we done this somewhere else, the same, followed the same strategy, the same playbook, like, we're just going to do it. We're not going to ask permission to do anything. We're going to go into the public school system and start teaching kids. It would be a much different reaction from the government. Like, so you could still do it in, in Ecuador or any other place, and people are doing it in those places. Uh, but it is... You know, the the strategy would have to be would have to be different from what we've done here. We are very aggressive. We really push the envelope here and you wouldn't be able to do that in other places. You could you could still teach Bitcoin education. People are teaching Bitcoin education. People are teaching with our materials in other places. But it's, you know, just the tactics have to be a little bit different. You can't be as aggressive as we are. Mm, Yep, yep.
2: What kind of, uh, what is the, the, uh, median teacher that you send into classrooms here? Like what is, what is their background? What are they, I mean, are they actually like certified teachers or, um, people who go through your training program, I assume?
3: Yeah. So most of the current teachers today are former students. Um, maybe all of them are former students, uh, but yeah, they're they're for the most part, they're former students, and it's quite a diverse background. So we have <laughs> we have one guy. I just learned this story yesterday. We had a little barbecue at my house. We invited uh there's some people in from out of town, so we invited teachers from all over the country, and about 20 of them came yesterday. And I was talking with this one guy, his name is Luis, he's he's in Osolatan, he's in the eastern part of the country, and he's a minister. And he was actually anti-Bitcoin. And when one of the mayors in that part of the country, you know, made a call, like, hey, learn about Bitcoin, he went there thinking that he was gonna be like, You get this is all a scam. You know, he was he was gonna tell people like what was wrong with it and he was gonna expose it and all that. And he ended up sitting through the whole course and and being converted and he loves it and and he is extremely dedicated now and has really really become like a, like a wonderful teacher. And I think his background, because he's a preacher, lends to becoming a teacher then. Um, And then there's other people who, who come from, you know, I mentioned before, we, we have a wonderful teacher who wasn't, who wasn't Uber driver, another wonderful teacher who was a coffee farmer. Uh, And a lot of these people like literally quit their jobs to, to teach Bitcoin. Right. Uh, Like the, they have really, really been um, have taken a turn and, and really embraced Bitcoin and really see how it could change their country, and they're they're super excited about it. Very few of them, if any of them, have a teaching background.'re the The common denominator, because their professional backgrounds before this are are quite diverse as well. Uh, the common denominator is there are people who are
0: extremely passionate about what Bitcoin could do for El Salvador. And I'm wondering, you know, you, you talk about how passionate they are about the future for El Salvador, what Bitcoin can do. And you said that that is sort of how your your curriculum ends, by discussing what their future and the future of their country could look like with Bitcoin. So I'm wondering what do you tell them that this future could look like? What are you telling your students that gets them so excited and, and what do you think that Bitcoin is actually going to offer on a tangible level for for people?
3: Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the things that we try to do is we try to create visible pathways to alternatives. Right. So we do that um by working with, with Bitcoin companies to try to create employment opportunities for students to come out of this course. Uh, an exciting proposal that that, uh, that I was just talking about yesterday with somebody who was here at the barbecue is they're trying to bring customer service from all the various exchanges and all the different Bitcoin companies to base themselves, to headquarter themselves in El Salvador. El Salvador has a, has a pretty significant uh, call center industry so why not bring the Bitcoin companies have their call centers be based here English people speak um, pretty good English here, especially at the call centers right so so this seems like a great place for that and they want to uh, make it eligible for those for those students right to, to make a pathway from students who go through the Bitcoin diploma. Okay, do you want are you interested in, in working at a call center for, for a Bitcoin company based in the US or Europe or wherever? Um, and, and in fact, like the, I was talking with someone yesterday, who was a podcast, and he wants to hire someone who to do audio visual stuff. So he was like, okay, where, where are the people that know a little bit about Bitcoin that are passionate? So he's going to hire one of the students that come out of these classes. So we're always trying to create these visible pathways for economic alternatives, but also it changes the mindset. So Bitcoin allows people to, to save. And it's not just that it allows people to save, it, it allows them to have a saver's mentality, even if they don't actually have the, the resources to save much. Um, it allows them the possibility to save, which encourages people to look toward the future. right? And, and when you look towards the future, then, then I think it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if you think the future is going to be better than the present, then you want to build something. And, and is that build- due to
1: price appreciation? To a large extent. Is that due to price appreciation where, for example, you know, students buy into Bitcoin will grow, right? And so if they can buy now, they're buying at like a good optimal price um, or just getting in early, right? And then they'll kind of rising tide brings up their ship along with everyone else. Is that the idea?
3: Um, I mean, I think I think that's a byproduct of it. We try not to focus too much on on price appreciation uh, and more on, you know, this is something that but we do talk about Bitcoin as something for the long term. Right. This is this is not something that like, hey, buy Bitcoin and sell it next week if it goes up, like buy Bitcoin and and hold on to it for a long time. Uh, And and it. And I think there's a mental shift there when people Start to think more into the future uh, then then that changes other things that they do in their lives too
1: mm, that makes sense. and how have you noticed the sentiment within the country changing like obviously the number of students is going up has has that changed over time like demographically is it is it younger people now who are more interested or is it still kind of the same trend? Do you still find the same general interest in Bitcoin now that it's been it's in legal tender what for about? over a year and a half now maybe i'm wrong yeah. on that but i think about a year and a half
3: yep yeah um so one thing that i've noticed is bitcoin has become less political with time so in the in the very beginning then it was very much associated with the president so if people didn't like the president they automatically didn't like bitcoin right not not because they had learned anything about bitcoin knew anything about bitcoin yeah. It's like, I hey, Bukele likes it. I don't like Bukele. So I hate Bitcoin. Right. And that that has really gone away. Uh, I think people much more judge Bitcoin on its own merits now rather than than who they associate it with. There were a lot of misconceptions in the in the early days here about the relationship of the Salvadorian government and Bitcoin itself. And that has mostly gone away, which which is really wonderful because that means that. You know, the, the government is extremely popular here. The president is extremely popular here. But it's still nice to to get those those few people that, that are not supportive of the government to have them come to the class as well, to have them be interested and curious about learning. So, you know, we, we've slightly expanded the, the base there because now, um you know, a lot of those misconceptions have gone away.
1: Yeah, and could the government let's say the government changes in the future, probably not in five years because Haley has incredibly high approval ratings and looks like he'll win re-election. But let's say five years from now, how do you make it so these gains can't be reversed, right? Because if maybe schools start cutting access, maybe the government says, hey, you're not on the official curriculum. How, how do you kind of look towards the future and make sure that these gains and inroads you're making now can't be reversed in like five to 10 years if administrations change?
3: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think one of the jobs that we have is to build a solid foundation so it doesn't matter who the president is, right? I, I think relying on on a <laughs> on a single person is, is problematic, right? Relying on the goodwill of of a single person is problematic. Mm-hmm. So what we have now is we have a window. We have a window to accomplish a bunch of things. And and after that maybe the window never closes right but it might close in 5 years and if it does close in 5 years then that's that's our deadline for making sure that there is a a foundation and a base of people and a base of knowledge so that whoever the leader is whoever whoever is calling the shots can't dictate to people what to do with their money right because that's the power of bitcoin once once you have bitcoin and once you understand bitcoin it doesn't matter whether someone says you could use it or not right that's mm. uh, that's that's kind of the whole point of it uh so we have a window to build that base right now
2: so we've painted kind of like a, a rosy picture so far more or less but uh i want to talk about um a couple of things um one uh how is this how is a uh, bitcoin perceived among let's say um the people least able to access it, uh, because there's, I, I think we talked about this yesterday and, and said that there were, that there are access problems, um, so like, you know, Chivo ATMs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly, uh, well, I don't know, maybe you can speak to this more, but, um, I don't know how well, uh, or how good the access is outside of say San Salvador and the larger cities. Um, so. So yeah, let's start. Let's start there. Like, what's the um, access situation for people who are not in the large cities?
3: And when you mean access, you mean like to beyond having access to ATMs? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, like, so are are you teaching them? um, Okay, this is an asset that you're going to solely uh, receive and hold on to and use on the Bitcoin or the Lightning Network, or are you also uh do, do you expect that this is it's it's necessary to have like a functioning bitcoin to us dollar pipeline for this to work for people say in the rural areas
3: yeah so there's some volatility is definitely an issue for people here in El Salvador you know a lot of a lot of the people that that we work with um you know they can't put they can't afford to lose half of however much money they put into bitcoin Right. So so that's that is an issue. Uh there are some some workarounds to that. So the the government wallet, Chivo, allows you to keep a stable dollar balance. Uh also Bitcoin Beach wallet, which which is now called Blink. Uh they also allow the same thing. They allow you to keep a Bitcoin, keep your Bitcoin but with the with a stationary dollar value to it. Um, so, so there are that that is helpful because there are people that that don't want to be exposed
0: to the volatility. That that is definitely an issue. How does uh, how does that not lead to like immediate arbitrage?
3: Within within that within Chivo or within
0: yeah, I mean, I guess maybe maybe I'm misunderstanding. Like they're they're guaranteeing Bitcoin at a certain price, and then the price drops. No, no, it no. sounds like they're automatically they, going to U.S. dollar.
1: They have automatic conversion right, within right. Chivo. I see. I
0: see. Yeah, yeah, it's a
1: cool feature, actually.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think those are the only two, and it's nice that one's government, one's non-government, so people have alternatives there. Uh, but then that, we encourage people to spend Bitcoin. So we have we have meetups, and at the meetups, then we give a little bit of Bitcoin away to to Salvadorians who who are new to Bitcoin, and then you know it's always at a place that accepts Bitcoin. So we give them enough to to, you know, pay for a drink or an appetizer or something like that. Uh, so we encourage them to make their first purchase with Bitcoin in a real-world environment. And and another thing, like another project that we just started, actually, while we are recording this podcast, uh, there's an island in Utsulatan called La Praia, and we are launching a project there today in conjunction with Bitcoin Beach, and the governor is going to be there. There's going to be like a whole... Whole hoobaloo, Uh and we are trying to get a education focused circular economy going on this island. So this island has about mm-hmm. two thousand people, and we are ed- we're, we're going to educate everyone who wants to on the island in the next over the next few months. We have someone who's living there, um, and they've already they've been there a week, and they've already recruited four locals to help with them who are probably going to lead the project once once this person leaves. They're just trying to get it started. Uh, and we are going to pay people for social work, you know, to pick up litter and, and to, you know, beautify the community, there's going to be a big event, we're going to try to increase tourism there. Uh, but, but the idea is to create circular economies to to keep the Bitcoin moving, right, so that people aren't, um, there's not an ATM there. I mean, eventually, it'd be great if we could get an ATM there. But the idea is that you know, I, I think the the long-term vision for Bitcoin to win is dollars aren't part of it at all. You know, there there's a transition period that we're in now, but way, way into the future, then I think the real solution isn't dollars and Bitcoin. It's just Bitcoin. Um,
1: Yeah, I'm curious, have you noticed when there's volatility in Bitcoin, like how does that get reflected into the classrooms? Like is attendance higher when Bitcoin's going up? Um, Do you get kind of like blowback when it goes down quickly? How is price sort of factoring into how average people are kind of handling education and just the sort of responsiveness to this Bitcoin message?
3: Yeah, yeah. So for sure, curiosity curiosity and positivity is very relative to the price of Bitcoin and and maybe not even the price of Bitcoin, but the trend of Bitcoin Mm -hmm. price. Uh, so earlier this year, when when the price of Bitcoin was appreciated, then there was just a ton of interest. Um, and then when the price goes down, there's less interest. This is more for intro classes. The Bitcoin diploma is not as exposed to that. Many of the Bitcoin diploma students are in a structured school system, so they have to take the class, right? And then the ones that, that sign up to take it uh, outside of that, that are open in the general public... They're signing up for this 10-week course, so they're, they're probably more committed than the average person. Where, we're, where we really see that fluctuation is with the intro classes. And it's the trend of the price of Bitcoin mm-hmm. definitely has a big impact on, on, on people's curiosity and positivity about Bitcoin.
0: I'm curious, you know, we, you've talked a lot about how your organization is um, interested in, in injecting money into like the the local Bitcoin economy and creating a circular circular economy. You're you know giving people Bitcoin to, to buy things at stores. you're also paying people for for cleanup and things like that. how <laughs> Where does the money come from for me premier Bitcoin like it's a, it's a non um, I I know you accept donations which we will Certainly, give you a chance to talk about and, and include a link in the show notes. Is, is most of the funding for Me Premier Bitcoin coming from private donors and enthusiasts, or, or how, what is keeping this running?
3: Yeah. Um, so, our, our funding comes from two primary sources we, we have merch and we have like some other opportunities for, for income, but that's, that's quite small. By and large, our money comes from sponsors and donors. And between the two, most of it comes from donors. So we have a couple of sponsors uh, and, and that's really helpful to have this sort of baseline. But the majority of it comes from just people in the community. Right now, we have a campaign on Geyser, which is a Bitcoin crowdfunding platform so we're we're trying to our budget is about a bitcoin a month that's about what we spend uh all our classes are free and all our classes involve using bitcoin in the class over lightning and the students keep that so they make transactions and they experiment over the lightning network and they keep that so they they leave class with a little bit uh so the Geyser campaign that we have, we're, we're trying to raise a Bitcoin for each month in April and then May, and it was actually, we're really, really grateful to the Bitcoin community because that is, you know, we live off of that generosity um, and that enthusiasm. We had the fastest growing crowdfunding campaign on the platform. Uh, we actually, you know, like we basically DDOSed ourselves because it took down our node. We we were getting 200 requests for donations a minute at the peak. Um, so it's it's really humbling to to see all that all that generosity of of people from around the world that that recognize the importance of what's happening here and recognize the importance of independent, impartial, community-led educa- education and also the importance of what's happening in El-, in El Salvador and that El Salvador has to be a positive example. So yeah, I mean, uh, if anybody is listening and they have a couple of spare sats, uh, they could go to our website, which is mepremierbitcoin.io or myfirstbitcoin.io and go to the donation page or right now we have a, an active campaign on the Geyser platform
0: and we'll we'll make sure to to link that as well so if you're if you're listening, check the show notes and and go ahead and and donate
1: yeah and and John, what do you find to be the main limiter then like it sounds like you have a pretty pretty good fundraising operation going like is it is it teachers is it access to schools is it money what's what's the main limiter to growth
3: yeah there's we have two limitations to growth um and that is building the right infrastructure because we are right we're constantly evolving but the trajectory has been quite dramatic right so we taught to give an example of that uh in 2021 in 2021 we had our 200 students in a month was was our high in 2022 it was 1400 and like i said now we do 5000 students a month uh so so just to keep up with that growth we were always changing the infrastructure and trying to get the best people in to do that and then money as much as much as we've been successful with these fundraising campaigns you know it it costs a lot of money to run this we we operate in all over the country so uh if if we had That that is a limitation as well. That's always increasing, but that that is also a limitation as well. So fundraising and just having the right people that could build the right systems for us.
0: So you have talked about the importance of the El Salvador Bitcoin experiment. You said it must succeed. Um, Is it succeeding? Do you think that what is happening in El Salvador is paving the way for uh, other countries to try similar experiments? And what do you think that other countries interested in this model can learn from what has worked and what hasn't in El Salvador?
3: Yes, uh, great question. So, yes, I think it is succeeding. I think that this is a long timeline. So I, uh, I think we often hear the critique like, hey, most people in El Salvador aren't using Bitcoin. The majority are not active users of, Bit- uh, of Bitcoin still. And that's fine. Like I said, it was zero. A year and a half ago here in San Salvador, it was basically zero. So I don't think absolute numbers are the most important thing. I think the most important thing is the trend. And the trend is absolutely heading in the right direction. Um, and another another thing is like the image of El Salvador has totally been transformed. This is internationally, very much associated with Bitcoin. And that has led to such a boom in tourism because the previous association was with gangs, right? So El Salvador has successfully and very quickly transformed their image from a paradise for gangs to a paradise for financial freedom, which is a mind-blowing like PR coup. Uh, so that... <laughs> So I, I think there are other countries that are looking at this and and are saying like, you know, I'm going to wait and see a little bit more. But if it keeps going like this, then maybe this is something to consider. El Salvador is a bit unique too, because it had such a strong and and popular leader to to be able to do this without much popular support uh, from, you know, grassroots support coming up. I think the next one will be different in that there are, Will need to be a lot more bottom up to go with the top down, and I think something that they could change is that they could improve upon an area for improvement is actually education right so El Salvador did this very quickly. there was ninety days from announcement to inflammation, which is very short, <laughs> so there wasn't there wasn't much time to to set anything up. I think the next country. Should put a lot of advanced focus on education, like before it becomes legal tender or before it becomes widely adopted, to have this foundational base of knowledge, which is something that that in El Salvador we're kind of catching up to. Uh, I think the next the next place would would benefit from being ahead of that rather than trying to catch up to it.
1: Mm. And how have you noticed it from kind of the foreigner expat perspective? You know, initially, I think a decent number of foreigners were visiting El Salvador, at least around kind of major conferences. Um, How how has that continued? Like, have you noticed an uptick or is it stagnated in terms of foreigners, maybe big names in Bitcoin coming into the country and spending time there?
3: Uh, the, The people that I am most exposed to aren't necessarily the people who are here on short visits. I have more exposure with, with foreigners that are moving here. And that is trending up. I think there was some reluctance at first, uh, you know, like, hey, let's see how things play out. And things have, have actually played out really well. This was, you know, in terms of safety, the country is, is again, it's really transitioned quite quickly from a place associated with gangs. to so a place that doesn't have a gang problem at all like it is extremely safe here. I feel safer here than I do in New York, actually. Uh yeah,
1: same. It's kind of weird, but <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah, but but I have I meet more and more people who are more and more foreigners who are moving here. And that includes that includes people, Salvadorians who have left the country for a year, for a decade, for for much of their life and are coming back because they feel like, okay, I wanna I wanna be part of this transition. Like El Salvador is looking towards the future, and I want to be part of that. So there's, I would say, definitely an increase in the number of people who are moving to El Salvador from abroad.
0: Do Do you think that the um, economic future of El Salvador is typically to the... Price of Bitcoin, or is the the attention that it's attracting and the investment that's attracting enough to offset some of the volatility? I mean, I remember the um, the price crumbled like almost immediately after um, the Bitcoin was implemented as, as legal tender, and a lot of Western news sources sort of had a field day. You know, there's a lot of New York Times coverage, like, haha. <laughs> that choice over there. And um, it seemed as if maybe the, the price would sink some of this initiative. And instead, Bukule doubled down, bought more Bitcoin when the price is low. So does, does that sort of volatility matter to the success of this strategy? Or is it really all just about creating an environment where ingenuity and enthusiasm for this technology is, is developed?
3: Yeah, I... I don't think the volatility matters as much as people think, you know, for the individual person, there's ways to mitigate it that we mentioned earlier. And then on the, for the government level, um, the volatility, if the volatility only trends down, then yeah, that would be bad. (laughs) But that would mean that, that, uh, that would be bad for a number of other reasons too, not just here and elsewhere. Um, But, you know, volatility, this, this up down sort of thing, I don't think that matters as much. I think it's really important that El Salvador is trying to and being successful at attracting human capital here, right? So so the amount of money that the government is spending on Bitcoin is actually not that much for a government, right? It's a ton for an individual, right? But but for a government, it's it's a relatively small percentage and they are attracting some some really great human capital, you know, those people that i mentioned that are moving here. Among them are 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 people who are going to build the next generation of apps and services and businesses and and all these other things that are going to help push El Salvador forward. So i think i think the genius of the strategy of bitcoin in El Salvador isn't necessarily with bitcoin. It's with humans and how it affects the humans here and, and the humans that want to come here.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think sometimes people miss how important attracting like good human capital. I, I don't even like the term human capital, but just smart people with energy into your country is for development. I mean, Argentina did that for a long time and it had a space program, it had nuclear power. Um, it, it just seems like I'll, it's interesting because... Yeah, I think we kind of underestimate that. I think that's an interesting take. Like, just how do you pull in smart people? Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Yeah, that's really hard to do. And El Salvador has done a fantastic job at pulling in good people.
1: Do you think there's anything missing to further scale that? Is there any feedback you get from the people who are moving and they're like, oh, if there was only this, I'd move? You mentioned the people who are, you know, waiting before they're on the sidelines and apparently, you know, maybe security, maybe. Maybe Bitcoin, maybe something. In those aspects reversed it, but are, are there still factors that you see kind of preventing smart, energetic people from moving in?
3: Um, yes, there are, but all of this is a process, right? So, so I think everything is moving in the right direction, but a couple of things that are that are different here that people from abroad might might not like, uh, like the shipping infrastructure is not very good. You can't just go online and and order anything and get it delivered to your house. Um, So there there are some conveniences like that which aren't up to speed here that they would be in other places that people are coming from. But again, that's the people that are coming here, someone coming here, someone who's probably already here is probably already working on a solution and building something for that, because Salvador is attracting the right people who are innovators who see a problem and, and look for a solution. So I, I, I think whatever problems are here are, are, I think things are trending in the right direction.
0: Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, we've talked so much about all the um, the, the successes and, and some of the challenges this is facing on a national level, but as you've worked with, with people um, on the ground and spread your message especially in you know potentially more rural areas or places that haven't necessarily been the focus of a lot of technological development I'm wondering if you have encountered any resistance to 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 Bitcoin to El Salvador's plan and um, what you say to people who are skeptical or or view it as something for the wealthy and not necessarily for them.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's still most of the conversations that I've had with people who are very much against Bitcoin here, it's political. It's because they don't like the government and the president and they see this as, as kind of a power grab. Uh, the 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 primary critique that I've heard about Bitcoin here is that it's a way for people to have more power over them, you know, specifically the government. And it's funny because it's the opposite is true. And most people are willing to most people that are willing to listen to that actually become Bitcoiners in the end. And it's like, hey, if you don't like the government, if you don't like someone having power over you. There's money that's censorship resistant, right? Like, wouldn't that be something that you would be interested in? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's Bitcoin. Uh, so, so I, I really think, <laughs> I really think the solution to so many of our problems is just having a better knowledge base, is more education, and more focus on, on, um, on just teaching people what what all the benefits are, and and, and the reality is like this is. The great thing about Bitcoin is all you have to do to convince someone is to teach them about it right there's no there's no like you don't have to sugarcoat anything it's it, It's just a very elegant design that i I really truly believe is is a better alternative to what we currently have
0: Well, if you believe in the power of education and web three. 3- and bitcoin to transform lives in El Salvador and beyond make sure to go check out me premier bitcoin and donate this is a nonprofit that depends on the generosity of enthusiasts like you to keep it going and it's really important interesting work so make sure to check out the show notes and go do that and John, I uh, just wanted to thank you again for, for joining us, for talking to us, and for for doing all this excellent work um, down on the ground. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. It was a pleasure to chat with you guys today. All right. Well, we'll uh, catch you all next time on The Network Age.
1: Hey, thanks so much for listening to The Network Age. Please remember to leave us a five-star review on either spotify or apple or whatever you're listening to this on and now in the interests of you actually writing reviews um i'm going to read one out this is titled the future by doge meme magic it is good podcast thank you thank you it is a good podcast Incredible review.
0: yeah
1: one of articulate. you know like that's articulate it says a lot about the content um but yeah overall he's right It is a good podcast. We might even say the best podcast. Mm -hmm. And that's what the next review says about us. So we're going to read that one by JSW. Must listen to for everyone following Decentralized, and then it trails off. I'm going to just say (laughs) Decentralized Future and Good Times. And so to read that one, this is one of the best podcasts out there, exploring the frontiers of the latest revolution in technology. They also managed to wrangle an amazing slate of guests. It's true. I would say... This last one was one of our best guests ever, and we will get you far more great guests. Leave us a review so that makes it easier for us to get those amazing guests. Thank you.